This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation, Joy. Keep Joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community. The Informer Daily is recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. At Joy 94.9, we'd like to pay our ongoing respects to Elders past, present and emerging. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. This is the Informer Daily for Tuesday, the 21st of April, 2020. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Today, your COVID-19 update. COVID-19 has already begun to change the world in some unexpected ways. We talked to the Common Social Change Library about some resources that they have that can help people accelerate social change. It's also a great time to dive a bit deeper into Shakespeare. David Meadows is arranging full cast recordings of his history plays, and we find out how you can get involved and watch them all for free. But first, this update. This is Dee Mason with the Joy 94.9 COVID-19 Bulletin for Tuesday the 21st of April. Elective surgeries and IVF are a topic in today's National Cabinet meeting with Federal Minister Greg Hunt saying the government would likely allow these procedures to start up again soon. Non-essential surgeries were put on hold last month to keep bed spaces free and limit the use of personal protective equipment to prevent putting more pressure on the healthcare system. Now, with case numbers declining, a multitude of free beds and plenty of stockpiled PPE, procedures which don't risk spreading COVID-19 should be able to resume. Virgin Australia is now in voluntary administration after failing to convince the federal government to give them a $1.4 billion bailout. The company says they will operate as usual, all planned flights will go ahead and travel credits remain valid. High demand for the flu vaccine is causing shortages across Australia with the Pharmacy Guild of Australia saying some chemists have already sold more this year than they did the whole of 2019. The federal government is ordering another 3 million doses but these are unlikely to arrive for another four to six weeks. Social distancing measures combined with more frequent hand washing has already seen flu cases in Australia dropping Continuing these practices until the vaccines arrive in May will help prevent the spread of flu. Another 400 Australians have returned home today as a charter flight coming from Mumbai via Indonesia landed in Adelaide this morning. Passengers are being screened by health authorities before going to a hotel in Adelaide CBD for their two-week forced quarantine. Police will guard the hotel to ensure no one leaves before the mandatory period of isolation is over. Anti-lockdown protesters in the United States have again taken to the streets, urging governors to reopen state economies and get people working again. Governors are insisting they can't go back to business as usual until they have more testing kits. New York's governor is calling for the federal government to help ease the national supply chains. America's death toll has risen above 42,000, with the latest daily toll of 1,500, marking the lowest increase in a week. Oil prices have fallen below zero for the first time in American history, with the pandemic making demand plummet and companies wanting to offload oil they have. The price for crude oil in the US is at negative 35 American dollars a barrel, as traders are paying others to take the oil because they have nowhere to store it. New South Wales students will begin physically returning to school in early May, according to Premier Gladys Berejiklian. 
Students will return in a staggered approach, which will see them attending school one day a week. The goal is to get students back full-time by Term 3. Action has been taken against 24 Victorians as part of an operation to address an expected increase in domestic violence due to social isolation restrictions. 13 people have been remanded in custody since the operation began a week ago. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. We're seeing some pretty huge changes right now, whether it's all the changes to Australia's welfare system that I don't think anyone saw coming, or the collapse in oil prices overnight. But there's other things that you might think need change. And for that, there's the Social Commons Library to help you out. I spoke with Holly Hammond to find out what resources there are. Yes, I'm the director and I'm a Commons librarian. And what does the, the Commons do? Uh, We gather basically the collective wisdom of people engaged in social change so that you can find it in one handy place. Um, And we provide information in lots of different forms, articles, manuals, podcasts, videos, training guides um, and more uh, around topics such as uh, campaign strategy, um, digital campaigning, communications and media, working in groups, organising, nonviolent direct action, uh, arts and creativity uh, and well-being and a bunch of other topics really. So if there's um, a project that you're involved in, there's a change that you want to create in the world, mm-hmm. we really encourage you to visit the Commons because there's uh, so much wisdom in the library. How do you define social change? Oh, that's a big uh, question. And <laughs> really, <laughs> um, we do cater for the breadth of interpretation around it really. Um, I think what I'm talking about is um, progressive change, change in the direction of social and ecological justice. So it's about equality of people and, um, you know, protection of the environment and, uh, you know, a, n- a number of different issues, really. It's not, not the issue that you're working on. It's the, the main um, focus that we have. We're more about the skills and information that you need to navigate political systems, um, gather and build groups, uh, communicate messages, uh, reach out to people, engage people, um, act and put pressure on power holders. Uh, so that's where we focus. Is there a cost to access materials? No, everything is uh, freely available online to anyone with the internet connection. Um, and the concept of the commons really is, you know, um, that these things aren't about being owned. They're they're actually collectively um, shared. So um, we really... Uh, strive to make information available to people and that there shouldn't be barriers to that, including costs. How did you build the collection? Uh, it was quite a process. Um, we worked with initially with a number of people who are already involved in capacity building in Australian social movements. So they're already playing roles of um, training or advising um, in uh, amongst different kinds of campaigning groups. Um, and so they had resources for starters um, that they've gathered over many years and we're really proud and happy to bring those collections into the Commons. So we've got collections from the Change Agency, Australian Progress, Original Power um, and a number of other uh, groups. So we kind of started building from there. Um, and because we're a library, we really put a lot of emphasis on how we categorise the information. So we mm-hmm. we tried to figure out how to, um, you know, group 
um, useful information ways that people could find it so they could navigate it easily. Um, and then since we launched with that base collection, um, many people have contributed um, extra materials and we're on the lookout all the time for more things to add. So um, the collection continues to grow and grow and we really encourage people if you come across something that you think people should um have access to uh, to pass it along because that's our role is to you know bring it in and then distribute it out mm. and are there certain areas that you're looking for more content at the moment uh well we're very focused at the moment on campaigning during this COVID 19 pandemic because mm-hmm. obviously it's been a big challenge and change um for all of us and how we live our lives um, and, you know, some of the tried and true ways that we have for making change involve getting people together um, in, you know, all sorts of different gatherings, including mass rallies and um, that's just not uh, a possibility right now. So we have had a, a focus on um, tools and resources related to um, campaigning during the pandemic. Uh, we gathered a heap of really useful guides to meeting online mm-hmm. um we've had um uh, a focus on tactics like actions that we can take that work with physical distancing and we've been digging back through australian social movement history for examples and making those available to people whether it's um boycotts or um banners and posters um you know the use of cars that's been an interesting thing recently um mm. which is um, you know, been in the media a little bit. Um, but, yeah, so that's one of the things we're focused on right now. But really um, our interests are really broad um, and we aim to gather everything in one place. So if you've got an idea, just let us know. Are you running any events at the moment or any um, special programs? Yeah, so we've just launched the Reset Reading Group, which is an um, opportunity for people to um, engage with some of the big ideas around where do we go from here. So I really feel like... The pandemic's really shaken things up and lots of people asking the question, you know, where do we go from here? What could life look mm. like? Um, what What is a just future and how do we create it? So um, we're running this program for three months with um, every fortnight there will be new readings coming out um, and people can um, put together their own group, whether it's in a household, they can meet face-to-face or an online group with friends and colleagues uh, or they can join... Um, a group through when they register there's the option to be put together with people they may, maybe haven't met before mm-hmm. um, or just to engage um, as an individual do the readings uh, join in the Facebook discussion if you like um, but yeah that's a that's a great new project and I warmly encourage everyone to be part of that conversation because where we go from here is really up to all of us yeah it's it's kind of uh, it's amazing the the speed at which our lives have changed and that things that used to be so rock solid like wow i don't know high oil Mm. prices have suddenly disappeared (laughs) and you know today the price of oil is at its lowest level ever um and that's a fundamental change in how the economy works because you know pretty Mm. much everything right now requires petroleum to you know, if you want to move goods, if you want to move vegetables, if yeah. you, you know, and for that to suddenly be so cheap, there's going to be huge change. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Conflict. Big, big, big change, big disruption. Um, you know, we have um, one of the theme 
themes of the book club is around building a new economy. So what does mm-hmm. this economic disruption look mean and, and how do we go forward? Um, but also there's been really significant changes around civil liberties, around um, laws in relation to isolation. So, you know, we want to make sure that people stay healthy, but we're also, you know, concerned about um, suppression of um, the right to protest and, um, you know, abuse of power that's uh, a risk at a time like this as well so we also mm. one of the another one of our themes is around revitalizing democracy um and you know being watchful around authoritarianism oh sure well um just invite people to connect with the commons by visiting commonslibrary.org um and you can subscribe to our newsletter there we send out a monthly newsletter and at the moment it's you know really full of very useful um, tips that relate to the new reality that we find ourselves in. And you can also follow us on Facebook at um, Common Social Change Library. Um, And as I mentioned, the Reset Reading Group, all of the information, you can find that on our um, website or Facebook page. Holly Hammond from the Common Social Library there. This is the Informer Daily on Joy 94.9 and across Australia on the Community Radio Network. There are a lot of Shakespeare plays, and there's the ones that everyone knows, like Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, Hamlet. But there's a number of relatively obscure history plays that also tell a compelling story. During lockdown, Circle in the Sand is doing a complete cycle of Shakespeare's history plays. I spoke with David Meadows about the process. For Circle in the Sand, for the international actors ensemble, I'm just a one of the one of several founding members. So okay. We don't actually have anyone really in charge at IAE, so mm. but Circle of the Sand definitely. That's my vanity company here in Melbourne, so I, put, I, I appointed myself artistic director of that. So. And you're doing something really interesting with Shakespeare while we're all physically distancing ourselves. What can you tell me about that? Well, basically, I mean, I started about 18 months ago, I started a, a cycle of readings of Shakespeare at the Alex Theatre in St Kilda and a, as a physical thing in, in the foyer lounge and it was the idea was to go through the whole canon in chronological order from the start of his career to the end of it and just get a get familiar with all the plays that i think a lot of people aren't familiar with i mean Mm -hmm. how how many people know king john or (laughs) the the time of athens or the two noble kinsmen or whatever Mm. um so to get familiar with all of those plays and to perhaps add in a few of the the co-written and attributed works like Two Noble Kinsmen, mm-hmm. Edward III, Sir Thomas More, uh, plays like that. And also to track the progress of his career and, and also just as something something to do, just as a bit of fun. Yeah. One one Monday a month, the last Monday of every month, we just we got together and we, we'd read the play and we'd always do a, a full text reading. Mm-hmm. And then about, well, I mean, once this whole quarantine lockdown thing hit we were like well what are we going to do with this and what was interesting was that probably about seven or eight months ago excuse me about Mm -hmm. seven or eight months ago i had um because i'm one of the companies that helped to set this up was the international actors ensemble Mm -hmm. which is a company that was founded out of um the international actors fellowship at shakespeare's globe in london in 2015 and it's a whole bunch of actors from all around the world and we all have a shared love of Shakespeare and we formed a theatre company and we've done shows in Mexico and in South Korea 
And I thought to myself, well, I've got all these amazing actors sitting around twiddling their thumbs mm-hmm. on the other side of the planet. And I said to my friend Jonathan, who lives in the US, I said, why don't you just use Skype and we'll plug you into a TV and put you up on top of the piano and you can read a role in the comedy of errors. And I was like, oh, what a great idea, which was the next play in the, the, the chronology. What a great idea. So we did. And he read Angelo, the goldsmith, and we worked out a whole bunch of um, Lazzi where he had a chain because Angelo makes a chain for Antiphilus. And he's like, you know, here is the chain you bid me make for you. And, and he passed the chain off the side of the, the frame. Mm-hmm. And then I just reach behind the television screen and pull out a lookalike chain and go, oh, thank you very much. And, <laughs> you know, all that sort of, lots of fun stuff like that. And then we just started doing that regularly for Love's Labour's Lost and for Romeo and Juliet, Midsummer Night's Dream, King John. We just had up to five people. For Romeo and Juliet, we had five people. We had Carol coming in from Sao Paulo, Jonathan again from Alabama, Aaron from Idaho. We had Karen coming in from Lyon in France. We had uh, Valentina coming in from London. And it was just... It was just such a great thing to see them all together and to be doing stuff with them, even though we haven't done anything physically together for a long time. Um, and then when the quarantine thing hit, it just seemed like the most natural thing in the world, since everybody else was doing it, to put it online. And mm-hmm. it didn't really even seem like much of a transition. In fact, I got I got an email literally just yesterday from one of the actors from overseas saying, I feel really bad about taking... You know about playing such a major role on a television screen while everyone else is there physically. And he said, "You do realise we're doing this via Zoom, and you know, doing it as a as a web stream video conferencing type thing." And I don't I don't think he'd sort of cottoned on to the idea that we, <laughs> that we were all going to be on a screen. You know, but um, no, it, and it's I love it as a as a as a thing in and of in and of itself. I've been saying, we the first one we did a couple of weeks ago was Merchant of Venice. That was the first one we did online. Mm-hmm. And within 24 hours of, of that ending, I was like, I don't, I don't ever want to go back to doing the physical readings. I love this as an art form in and of itself. So many theatre companies at the moment are using it as a bit of a stopgap mm-hmm. while they're in lockdown. But I actually like it as its own art form, yep. you know, as, as something that can be developed and evolved um, as a discipline in and of itself. Um, and, I'm, and I've certainly... I've said to the Alex here, I said, I never want to do it in person again. He's like, yeah, great, let's do it. Let's do it as an online thing. So, yes. No, I'm loving it. So, if people want to watch, where do they, excuse me, where do they access the um, the, the readings? Well, we... Um, or performances. We, They're really performances. Well, they are. They're, readings. They're, they're sort of a, yeah, a, sta- a digitally staged reading, if you will. Um, yeah, we are streaming through YouTube and Facebook... Um, and they'll be coming through the Alex Theatre page, through Circle in the Sand. This is on Facebook, Alex mm-hmm. Theatre in St Kilda, Circle in the Sand, which is my company here in Melbourne, and the International Actors Ensemble. Those three pages will be um, will have the feed. Oh, great! Um, broadcast through them, and yeah, for for the next five months, from April until August, and. I, I love the serendipity, the sort of alliterated serendipity of, ha- of having them bracketed between the two months, starting with A. I just <laughs> feels to me. But from April until August, we're doing the the full history cycle. I mean, a, a slightly fuller than full history cycle because we're doing the eight plays from Richard II through the Three Henrys, um, which is um, six plays on their own, um, and then uh, Richard III to close it out. But we're also doing the Merry Wives of Windsor as well because that's a sort of the comedic spin-off of the Henry Fours. Yeah. When um when uh the Queen when Queen Elizabeth the First came to see the Henry Four plays, she was saying, "I like that 
Sir John Falstaff, Master Shakespeare, <laughs> could you write a could you write a play in which um, Sir John Falstaff falls in love, and Shakespeare dutifully, like a uh, a good subject, went, yeah, sure, all right, no worries, and he wrote The Merry Wives of Windsor as this comic spin-off of these mm. epic history plays, and so there are now so there, yeah a lot of common characters, and it's the same basic universe, and so yeah, I've just thrown that into the mix just for just for giggles. And so, yeah, nine plays all told. And originally we were going to do, we'd already gotten up to the Henrys anyway, to the Henry IVs, Richard II, Henry IV Parts One and Two, and Henry V. We were already about to do between April and August anyway. Mm-hmm. And then I just thought, eh, I want to just throw in the Wars of the Roses as well. So we're doing the ones that I just mentioned. And then after Henry V, we keep the narrative going into the four parts of the Wars of the Roses. So you've got the uh, Henry VI, Parts one, two, and three, and then Richard the Third, which Michael Boyd, the former artistic director of the Royal Shakespeare Company, refers to as Henry the Sixth, Part Four, <laughs> and he's and he's not wrong because it is that's basically what it is. Yeah, but it's um it's you know an a- absolutely epic history cycle, and nobody ever does them uncut. Nobody, very rarely does anybody do them at all. Yeah, but um, yeah, that's that's where we're up to in the cycle. So hey, why not? Uh, have you thought about doing Edward II by Christopher Marlowe? Well, we've done, uh, we did Edward III, which, uh, we, when did we do that? Like, late last year, we did Edward III, which Shakespeare co-wrote with Thomas Kidd, mm. um, which kind of ties in since Richard II is the son of one of the characters in that, Edward the Black Prince of Wales. Uh, no, uh, to be honest, I hadn't. I mean, mm. it, it was, it was, n- I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't add that in, I suppose. There's no reason why we couldn't add in some Marlowe as well. I mean, there's yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the contemporaries. Um, yeah, a lot of the contemporaries <laughs> that, that were. It, well, it does. It kind of feeds into one another. I mean, there's the, the thing about. It always makes me laugh when I read on blogs or wherever I watch. You know, being a, a huge Marvel tragic, I, I subscribe to a lot of those kind of quote unquote nerd um, YouTube channels like. Um, new rock stars and all those sorts of things. It always makes me laugh when I hear some of these guys bang on about, oh, sequels and prequels and mm. reboots and all that sort of stuff. And and sometimes it's not always positive things they have to say. I'm just like, guys, you do realise they've been writing sequels and prequels and reboots and spin-offs since the dawn of theatre, since two and a half thousand years ago in ancient Greece. Yep. Um, Sophocles was writing sequels and whole cycles of plays out of sequence and whatnot. And certainly in Shakespeare's time, they were right. They were ripping each other off all the time. And I had the good fortune many years ago to do not just Taming of the Shrew. I've actually done Taming of the Shrew three times. But I had the chance to play it in rep with The Tamer Tamed, which is a sequel to The Taming of the Shrew, written by John Fletcher, um, who was one of Shakespeare's contemporaries. In fact, they collaborated on The Two Noble Kinsmen. Mm-hmm. And and just, you know, to be able to throw that in, just sort of, why not just throw the t- um, the Tamer Tamed in as well? Why not throw in Doctor Faustus or you know the Jew of Malta or any of the? You know, there's, there's no reason why you couldn't do the Merchant of Venice and the Jew of Malta as a double bill and you mm. know get into even more trouble. You know, so it's, um, there's yeah, there's there's a wealth of material from that period, and you know people tend to focus on Shakespeare because he was kind of the 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 main guy at the time. But so much of the other the other work is is I mean I've done Doctor Faustus. As well as an actor, um, yeah. and it's a great piece of writing. It's, mm. you know, it's tremendous. 
who knows when the, when the cycle is over, or maybe if we're looking <laughs> to keep busy during the cycle, because because that was kind of the thing about the history cycle. It was like we were going to be doing, as I said, the Henry ad, the Henry Four plays, Richard the Second through to Henry the Fifth, but it was a month apart. And I'm like, man, I got my friend Monty, who's in New York. He's doing his company over there is doing online play readings like three times a week, and I'm like, this is a month between readings is too long. Yeah. So um, I, uh, when I found out there were four perfect spots in between times every two weeks mm. to uh, to add other players in I th- that's when i thought let's do the whole cycle even two weeks is too far really but then i have to prepare the scripts and cast the shows and convene rehearsals for a couple of people who want to do that kind of gold chain passing across the planet Blatzy, <laughs> and sort of things. So, yeah so we were starting on um on uh, Monday, April twenty-seven, mm-hmm. with with Richard the second, and then we on May eleventh, two weeks later, Henry the fourth, part one. May twenty-fifth, two weeks later, Henry the fourth, part two. On June fifteenth, two weeks after that, we dropped the Merry Wives of Windsor in there, just right in the middle. Mm. Um, and then on June twenty-ninth, Henry the fifth. June uh, July thirteenth. Henry the Sixth, Part One. July twenty seventh, Henry the Sixth, Part Two. August seventeen, which is there's a weird. It's not quite two weeks. Yeah. That that change between July and August is weird. Um, but that's Henry the Sixth, Part Three, on August seventeen, and then on August thirty first, we close out the whole thing with Richard the Third. Mm. And then, depending on where the world is at that point, and whether we're still in lockdown, we we, we may start adding in Mullow and Fletcher and Middleton and Rowley and all those other guys. Um, because we've got three more play readings after that in the Shakespeare series, uh, Much Ado About Nothing, Julius Caesar, and As You Like It, mm-hmm. to close out, to close out the year, September, October, and November. Mm-hmm. And they will remain online regardless of what happens in the world because it's such a great form. Shakespeare's history plays are often sort of ignored. Why are they important or why are they interesting to an audience? There is a lot of excitement in them. When the, the, the political intrigue, I mean, anyone, anyone who's watched The West Wing or game of thrones knows that the sort of the political intrigue and the jostling for power and supremacy i don't think there'd be game of thrones if there hadn't been shakespeare at all generally but that it owes so much to the history plays because it is about jostling for the throne i mean every single part of these eight main history plays is apart from henry the fifth really is about jostling for the throne and even henry the fifth is about henry going into France to take the French throne, um, to claim that for himself. So it's um, it's all that kind of backroom corridors of power machinations, which are always very fascinating, especially as we look at the, uh, the kind of things that go on in our own political um, landscape and all the backstabbing and the conniving and the manipulations and the, uh, you know, looking at the, the American political scene at the moment and how many people are sniping about how Bernie Sanders has dropped out and, and he's been so obsequious in endorsing Joe Biden and all this sort of And that's just classic Shakespeare. Mm. That is absolutely straight out of one of these history plays. So they're exciting on that and, and interesting and entertaining on that front. The general things about Shakespeare that I love, the language, how powerful and redolent the language is and and, uh, strong and and how wonderful it is to play and to listen to, which is lost art, really, listening Mm. with such a a visually oriented culture that um, to get people to sit and listen to something for a couple of hours is is a big ask in this day and age. But, you know, there are plenty of people out there who still enjoy doing it. And I, I hope plenty more people out there who want 
to figure out how to do it. That's David Meadows of Circle in the Sand. The first play that they're doing is Richard II, which will be streaming from the Circle in the Sand Facebook page at 7 p.m. Eastern Time this Monday. That's all for us today. Thanks to T. Mason, Nicholas Kamenier-Sandry, and Emily Johnson. We'll be back tomorrow. I'm your host, Arian Potts. Mahalo. The Informer is funded in part by the Community Broadcasting Foundation, cbf.com.au. And of course, the members and donors of Joy 94.9. You can help us by visiting joy.org.au and become a member or donate. Any amount helps us bring you community-powered radio. Thank you. Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy. Help us keep Joy on air. Head to joy.org.au. Joy, a diverse sound for a diverse community.